The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. To our fourth week of the Intro to Mindfulness Meditation. And uh, as it has has been the custom, it might be nice if some of you have any questions about your meditation or want to report on your experience or questions about last week. We can take a few minutes before we start, allowing other people to come in late. I was wondering if you could um, comment on very strong emotions, if you experience just extremely strong to the point of tears, say. Mm. So very strong emotions. It's to be expected. If See, one of the things about meditation, that I think, you know, at least my, how I like to approach meditation, is meditation is just our, is our life. And uh, we don't want to... The idea is to let... And if you meditate regularly, if you do it like every day... What's really nice about that is sooner or later your whole life goes through your meditation. And so rather than meditation being an escape from your life, it's a chance to really uh, meet your life, address your life, really see what's going on, maybe go through something to the other side. And so uh, having strong emotions is definitely part of human life. And so sooner or later they come through. And, uh, and so it helps if you've done mindfulness of, med- of emotions before the strong ones. So you have some sense of their terrain and how to be with them. Uh, generally, the idea is, let's, if, within, within reason, um, with some exceptions, uh, if, you, if you can sit, sit still and upright, to let the, uh, the emotions move through you as strongly as they want to move through you. And uh, it's generally a safe place to have that happen. Sometimes there's an exception with, uh, with fear. Sometimes fear can be a loop where you're stronger, like panic attacks, right? Where you just kind of loop on themselves, and so then it's not so useful to just stay there if that's what's happening. And so, so, sometimes that can be also true with grief or sadness, that some people get into a loop, uh, get somehow getting involved, and it gets stronger and stronger. Um, but generally, those kinds of loops happen when we get involved, or we react to it. So what we're trying to learn to do is how to allow the emotions to be there without participating, getting involved, getting reactive to it. And so, uh, uh, it's uh, tears is part of that. So if tears come, it's fine. And I've known people who've, uh, who ha- and have needed to and have cried on meditation retreats for the full seven days. And that they had such a backlog or such a need to let things come and they just cried and finally, and they felt like this was such a relief to finally be able to have a chance. It was a, you know, decades was built up there and something was held at bay. And um, so, you know, in ordinary, you know, daily meditation too, there might be tears. And it's considered a very uh, healthy and appropriate and helpful, helpful place to have tears flow. Just let them go. But how you relate to the tears is the, kind of the big issue. So it's one thing to sit upright in a relaxed but upright, dignified posture and let your emotions kind of move through you and maybe the tears stream down. And just kind of not move, just be there with it, not repressing it, but also not giving into it. Uh, another way, you know, giving into it would be like you start banging the floor and tearing out your hair, and you know, th- then that's a little bit, you know, that's being that's very different. There's being there, 
or succumbing to self-pity, going, oh no, poor me, and you know, just... So the idea is, the idea is both, both physically, but also mentally, to have a kind of a balanced, open, respectful attitude to the strong emotions, but allow them to be there. In order to do, in order to do that, most people have a lot of self-learning to learn, to do first. And the self-learning has to do about their relationship to their emotions, the attitudes they have to them, the way they get involved in them, the way they pull back and resist them, and really understand how that works. And rather than seeing those as a problem, uh, is actually see as part of the learning we want to see and notice. Is this addressing your issue, or do you have something more specific that you had in mind? I wanted to ask a question about narrative or narration. There are times when uh, I think I'm trying to be mindful, and what I'm actually doing is narrating my experience to myself. Right. It's really irritating. (laughs) So now I'm sitting here at IMC, and I'm wearing black pants and a gray sweater, you know, that kind of thing. Uh You're in the present, but... But I'm I'm sort of outside myself, watching myself. Any suggestions? Well, the suggestion, the first suggestion when you do mindfulness meditation, mindfulness practice, um, <clears throat> is uh, to just notice what you're doing. It's powerful. So just to know that that's what you're doing. And, uh, and then you might, but to know it so well that it's kind of like, uh, I'm not suggesting you do this, but there's a psychological technique where, um, you know, maybe you're, you're making it, you're narrating your color of your clothes in the present moment. And then you say to yourself, on top of that, you say, I am now narrating the color of my clothes. And it's kind of like stepping back in the overview. And it takes some of the, 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 the energy or the power, the allure, the authority away from that narrator when you step back and call it for what it is. So, that's, so, the power, so that I'm, I'm saying that that's the power of just recognizing what you're doing. And don't, don't be quick to try to fix it and try to make it go away. Just come back, just, oh, that's what I'm doing, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. And then some, uh, a shift will begin happening to you as you do that. Um, but it is important to know that thoughtfulness is not mindfulness. And uh, it's, uh, mindfulness is a, a state of, is a, is a process of knowing what's happening that bridges the world of silent knowing and very simple uh, recognition of what is. So uh, I, I, it's more a kind of silent knowing uh, than it is uh, a, a thoughtful knowing. But there are some very simple rudimentary thoughts that go on. So in your situation, you're narrating away. You finally notice you're doing that. And then you, uh, you kind of quietly say, narrating. And there is a silent awareness that ha- probably was there before you even recognized that you're, the word narrating. Just that you saw what was going on. So there's a little bit of silent seeing of something, and then the very simple, almost like a one word, oh, narrating, that's what's happening. That's, so that, that's the realm of mindfulness. It's like, oh, narrating. And, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job narrating. In fact, I think this goes really well into my plot. I think I'll add it to my novel, and, you know, and so you're off writing, right? So, that, so then you're off narrating about the narrating. <laughs> Yeah, that, does that make sense what I'm saying? So the silent part, and so I, maybe, I don't think I did it at the beginning of this course. Did I tell you the orchestra story that I like to tell? No, you didn't hear my orchestra story? 
<laughs> I tell a lot of same stories. Um, uh, many years ago, I was given tickets to the San Francisco uh, Orchestra Symphony. And um, so it was kind of special for me to go there. And there were kind of good seats, kind of on the side, but close up. And, uh, and uh, so it was great to listen to music like this, classical music. And the first half, before the intermission, because we had such a good view of the orchestra pit, I was narrating the pit. I was looking and saying, Are they, those violinists really going at exactly the same tempo? And, you know, you know, look what they're doing over there. And I was kind of like t- telling myself and looking, and I wasn't listening to the music. Because, you know, it was a whole near. And so by the time the intermission happened, I was like, Gil, you're here to listen to the music. And uh, so then when I came back from the intermission, I then closed my eyes and listened. And then, there, there, then I could just silently receive the music. And I wasn't thinking about the music. I wasn't thinking about the orchestra. I was just absorbing the music in my ears and my body and my whole system. And then after a while, I settled into that. And the the busy mind that was narrating got quiet. And that when it got quiet, then I could open my eyes and watch and listen at the same time. And that's kind of, kind of a silent awareness. Someone else? We're going to talk about that thinking today, so that's a good one too. So um, I have a question that follows up on the first question about strong emotions. Um, So I find that um, there are two ways. Like there was this exercise about riding the emotion. So I I go sit down in my room and I'm trying to ride the emotion. And then I'm kind of faced with two paths. One is to try to feel where the emotion is in my body. And then I really feel the pain, like some knots, some really um, tight um, things. And so I try to breathe into it. And so that kind of takes my mind out of um, thinking about the emotion. The second, which is probably the most prevalent for me, which is maybe... um, not good and related to narrative is I cannot help myself but asking but why am I feeling this? Why am I what? Why am I feeling this? I don't care that word. Why? Feeling. feeling, Am I feeling this? Yeah. And so you know it's kind of like why am I sad right now? And then you get into all those stories. Yes. um, Way back when. (laughs) Like it just goes on and on and on and um, you know I know you So that was wisdom. Okay, but you know, you spoke about the arrow last week. Yeah. And so I'm kind of wondering, am I, you know, on the one hand, like shooting like 200 more arrows at my pain? Or um, part of me feels I need this. Yes. Like I, I need to just stay there and keep... And figure it out. Hearing all of those things and crying more and it just... So, um, if, I, so if I understand what you said, you had two routes. One was to feel it in your, bo- <coughs> in your body... And then it, you could feel the pain that you were carrying with it. Mm-hmm. You would breathe through it, and it would kind of get a little bit better. The other route was to start thinking, why am I sad? Why am I angry? Why am I doing this? And it's not so obvious, so it's, it takes a lot of reflection, a lot of thinking, contemplation, trying out different things, what happened, reviewing it the past better, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes work, right? So uh, both those processes are useful to do, to both paths. 
And it's useful to do that kind of, at times, it can be useful to do the kind of thinking things out. But the wisdom part that I wanted to point out, when you said it goes on and on and on. Yes. I mean, it's ridiculous how many times we, we can repeat ourselves. Yes. You know, I like to say that if someone walked next to me and repeated it to me, what, said the same thing over and over again as much as I say things to myself, I would doubt their sanity. <laughs> totally. And, and, uh, and what's more amazing is that, uh, not that I don't doubt my sanity, what's more amazing is that um, uh, that person talks, I lose interest pretty quickly. I'm always interested. <laughs> and I think it's because I'm the, you know, the main subject of my thoughts, somehow I'm connected to me, right? That's very interesting. But, but to get to, to see how repetitive it is, on and on and on, after a while you have to doubt about, is this really always effective? It, it was, you know, is this really so useful? Maybe, is there another way that's maybe more useful to do this? So, so it is useful sometimes to do that kind of reflection. What I recommend people do is don't do it in meditation because it's not meditation. Yes, no, so I would say, not say, Save it for another time, but do do it other times. But do it, it's really interesting to do it in an in a, in a, uh, intentional time and place. You know, at three o'clock Sunday afternoon, I'm going to go for a walk and think about this issue in my life and really engage. That way, you're not sloppily thinking about it all over the place and not very effectively. But, um, I mean, would you, for example, put a timer and say, you know, 15 minutes and then I stop? Or um, where do you make the distinction between this is too much? Like now, I'm just not thinking. I'm shooting arrows after arrows after arrows. Where do you feel that, you know, it's beneficial versus detrimental? Mm, I'm not sure how to answer that, but certainly thinking is useful. But if your thinking involves shooting arrows, then it's not useful. So, so as soon as you feel the pain, ouch, ouch, you know, don't, then, then something needs to, then, then I think it's time to step back and look at what you're doing and, and see if you experiment and see, can you find a different way of thinking about this that is not so critical, not so shooting arrows? So for example, uh, um, this, uh, this evening, there's something happened at home and I left the beans on the stove so the water evaporated and it didn't really burn, but the beans weren't useful anymore. <laughs> so I could, be, I, could, I could think, you know, what happened there that I kind of let the stove on and, you know, and, you know, what was going on there? And yes, I got that phone call and I was there and I had to go do something right away with my kids and, you know, yeah, I understand what happened. Or I could say, gee, I need to figure this out because I'm a klutz. I'm a no good cook, I'm, you know, and that's the arrows, Right. As soon as you're doing the arrows, stop what you're doing. It's not useful. Don't do the arrows. But then stop and say, wait a minute. I'm condemning myself for how I burnt the beans. And I'm just feeling you know, full of guilt. And Maybe there's a different way of... I need to think about this. Maybe I can think about it in a more gentle or friendly way. So the arrows are never useful. Yes, I understand. I was having a hard time understanding between, you know, what is an arrow and what is useful thinking. Oh, arrows you go, ouch. <laughs> and if it's not clear, then just keep thinking until it goes, ouch. But some people don't recognize the ouch. Yeah, that's and so that's one of the nice things about mindfulness meditation is that um, 
you won't hurt more by doing mindfulness meditation, but you'll recognize that you're hurting more often. Is that okay? <laughs> because you'll be present. After a while, you get to kind of learn what it's like. You, get to, you understand the symptoms and what it feels like to, to hurt. And, uh, and that's really valuable because then you can make some, do something about it. But if you hurt and you don't recognize it, which many people do, then it's hard to really do anything. Uh, a classic place that Buddhism points to where uh, it's good to see the hurt is around anger. Um, if you can turn, if you, if some people, if they understand how painful it is to hold resentment, then uh, they say, you know, I knew one person uh, here at IMC who was re- had years had resentment for her uh, ex-husband, and it was like churning away, and you know, she's always angry and all that, years. And then one day she was in the shower and she said, um, you know, he's out there living his life. He doesn't think about me at all, I'm sure. And I'm still hurting because I'm so resentful. I'm the one who's hurting from the resentment, not him. And then her resentment went away. But she had to recognize the pain. Anyway, I hope that addresses your concern well enough. Yes, thank you. So, okay, so onward. Thoughts, thinking. You say yes. Oh, he 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 wants to say something back there in the back row. I just wanted to thank people not wearing scented products. Oh, I, noticed, yes. uh, I don't know the rule, but I appreciate it. Great. Yeah, we we ask people not to come with scented products here, and so if people have seen, the, we have a little sign on this on the wall there, so. If, you, you have that kind of care. It's uh, very much appreciated. And, and in this kind of environment, especially, uh, people close together meditating, you know, opening their senses, being present, it, you know, it can be a big impact. Um, and our, at our retreat center, we actually provide scent-free um, uh, uh, shampoo and conditioner and soaps so that uh, you don't have to, people, you know, don't have to have anything scented products with them. Okay. So, um, it's pretty common in the world of meditators for people to feel that as they meditate, that the biggest hindrance to being able to meditate is their thinking mind. That their mind wanders off in thought. Did some of you have that feeling this last couple of weeks? Yeah? And like your mind has a mind of its own and you're trying to be present and your mind takes you off. And because of that, sometimes people will, have a, will develop a lot of um, resentment, <laughs> a lot of uh, frustration, a lot of uh, animosity towards their thinking mind. And thinking mind is seen as the problem, as a hindrance, as an obstacle, as the enemy even. It gets pretty intense sometimes how it works people's attitudes towards thinking. In mindfulness meditation, uh, there's no need whatsoever to see your thinking mind, your thinking, as the problem, as an enemy, as something to kind of, you know, have any kind of criti- critical feeling towards. Because in mindfulness meditation, what, we're trying, what we do is we, we're, we, we want to always, the approach is to be mindful of what's happening, to notice what's happening in the present moment, to bring awareness to what's happening. So if thinking is what's happening, then the idea is to bring a certain kind of attention to your thinking, a heightened clarity 
a heightened recognition, I am thinking right now. Like the example I gave earlier of uh, someone having, you know, narrating a lot, and then kind of stepping back and say, I am narrating. There's kind of stepping away, and there's a heightened recognition that this is what's happening. And you, you, I recommend you try this in your daily life. Um, find yourself thinking about something, maybe obsessively or something, and then, and then say a few times to yourself, um, I, um, you know, I am thinking about this now. I'm in, or uh, uh, these are thoughts about my clothes. These are thoughts about work. That kind of stepping back and recognizing kind of frees us from the involvement and it's not the thinking that's the problem in meditation, but rather it's how we feed the thinking, how we're involved, how we believe, how we fuel it and get involved in it. And so this heightened, uh, heightened awareness of meditation and mindfulness is this kind of the stepping back and seeing what you're doing so you're no longer feeding it. Make sense? sense? And then what happens is you can start seeing more clearly the territory, what's going on as you think, and thinking is a fascinating phenomenon. There's a lot more to notice in your thinking than to notice the content of your thoughts. And most people are involved in the content of their thoughts. Uh, very occasionally, maybe because they're, they're so tensely involved in their thoughts, they can feel physical tension. They build up a strain in their forehead or neck or something, and they realize that there's, there's more going on than just thinking. But there's always more going on than just the content of your thoughts. And so part of the opportunity when you stop and step back and have this heightened recognition, oh, these are thoughts I'm having, is then you can kind of look around a little bit and see what else comes along with the thoughts. And as you become, and part of what comes along with them is often is emotions. And the more strongly a person is hooked into their thinking, the more likely is that there's emotions not only connected to that thinking, but most likely fueling those thoughts. And so it's useful then to go behind the, the veil of the ideas, the thoughts, the images, and to look, go below and see the emotions of what's going on. So that's an introduction to this topic of um, mindfulness of thinking. And uh, what I'd like to do in a few, couple, two minutes or so is just a guided meditation on thinking that hopefully will help you explore the terrain of what a thought is. And for some of you, I suspect, uh, you have never kind of done a guided tour of your inner life of, your, of the thinking and thoughts. And it might be a surprise to start seeing that uh, you know, you've known yourself for a long time, but actually there's a whole domain that maybe you don't know so much about the, who you are and what goes on. And because, because the tendency... Uh, you know, so thoughts are usually about something, right? So it's a, uh, thinking about what I'm going to have for dinner, thinking about work tomorrow, thinking about what happened you know, in the past, thinking about my fantasy, it's about something. It has a subject, or an object, you know, some concern. And the natural thing to do is to be focused on what the thought is about, the concern. And so, it's, the example is that if, if I, maybe I've done this for you already, but if I'm holding onto this bell striker, and the bell striker is really important for me, I might grasp it really hard. I'm afraid you're going to steal our, my bell striker. This is a very important bell striker. The status of a good meditation teacher is directly tied to the beauty of their bell striker. <laughs> I'm going to keep this, right? And then they take it. And so I'm so concerned about the bell striker and what it's going to do for me and how, 
you know, the great esteem I'm going to get from all of you by having a good bell striker. It's such an important thing that I don't notice that my hand is going white and numb and the pain in my hand until finally, for some reason, I decide to put it down and I can't open my hands. So, so it's kind of like that with thoughts. We're so focused on the content of our thoughts, we don't see how we hold the thoughts, how we're relating to thoughts, how we're gripping them, how we're resisting, what's going on. And the mindfulness, uh, as you slow down, step back from your thinking, have this heightened awareness, and you can start looking around and seeing what else is going on. And it's very freeing to do that. Very freeing not to be uh, uh, absorbed only in the content of what you think. Okay? So, um, so let's, uh, uh, so we'll, we'll guide you a little bit into a very simple, the basic uh, practice we've done so far, kind of reviewing what we've done so far. And then I'm going to uh, uh, switch to doing an ex- exercise in a guided exploration of thinking. And uh, you have been sitting for a while. It's, maybe, you know, if you, if you want to stand for a minute and stretch and limber up, please. So at the beginning of a session of meditation, it's good to spend a few minutes just settling in, relaxing, letting go of your day the best you can. Kind of just more and more just here in a simple way. So gently close your eyes. And take an upright posture. It's usually helpful to have the spine a little bit more alert, upright, straight than you would on your own. And with the spine a little bit straighter, just a teeny bit, uh, maybe feel how the the tailbone, the sitting bones root you to the chair, root you to your cushion. And that sense of rootedness is a way of being reminded that here you are, this place, now, this time. And then taking a few long, slow, deep breaths letting your chest expand and stretch as you breathe in and let it all relax as you exhale. Breathing in deeply and as you exhale, see if you could also let go of any thoughts, ideas, attitudes you have, so your mind becomes a little simpler. So your mind becomes a little bit more easy, not needing to do much except be here. And then letting your breath return to normal scanning through your body to see if there's any easy places to relax or soften. The muscles of your face, around the eyes, cheeks, jaw. Letting your shoulders relax, 
soften. And it can be helpful, if you can, to soften your belly. Let your stomach hang forward and out. And then as if your breathing was at the center of your life, center of your universe, center yourself on your breathing, on how the body experiences breathing Gently noticing the rhythm, your rhythm of breathing in and breathing out. And whatever way you're breathing is just fine. As you, ex- as you exhale, perhaps you can let go of your thoughts. Or let them recede into the background as you enter more fully into the experience of breathing. And you can also become aware more broadly of your body. The three-dimensional quality, substantial quality of your body. If there are any strong sensations in your body, to experiment with gently just being aware of them, nothing more. It's okay to be as they are. Breathe with them, just breathe, just be. Your whole body is kind of like your your refuge, your support, 
It's the place you always are, here, in this body. And also you might take a moment to recognize if there's any predominant mood or emotional state, attitude present for you. To let there be a recognition of that. And in the recognition, you're not identified with your emotions or mood. It's like you step back and you Allow it to be, but you see it for what it is. Perhaps feeling your mood or emotional state and how it is in your body. So your body can be the refuge or support for how you're feeling. So you're not involved with it so much with your mind and your thoughts. and just feeling your breathing for another minute or so. See if you can kind of ride on top of your breathing. Surf on the comings and goings, the expansions and contractions of breathing in and breathing out. And then to start the exploration of your thinking. 
For now, you're allowed to think. In fact, why don't you just notice that you're thinking, think away. No need to stop thinking, but rather be aware that you're thinking while you think. No need to focus on the breath. If thinking fades away, you can go back to your breathing. But when thinking starts again, bring your attention to that, as if it's okay to think. But don't just be involved in your thoughts. Really know that you're thinking. Almost as if you can say to yourself, these are thoughts I'm having. Maybe for some of you, the idea of stepping back to get a bigger view of thinking is helpful. Getting an overview as opposed to being in the middle of it. And what happens to thinking if you look it right in the eye and recognize, oh, this is thinking? Not to make it go away, but just to recognize it for what it is. What happens then? And then as you are aware of your thinking. Can you notice whether you tend to think more in words or more in images or a little bit of both? Some people have words when they think, like an inner voice. Some people have images, like there's a screen upon which a whole scene is unfolding. Two different ways of thinking. How is it for you? And as you're aware of your thinking, if you think in words, if there's an inner voice, 
is there kind of a general location where that voice is heard, where that voice speaks? Is it completely disembodied in no place at all? Or where is it? If you think in images, is there a place where that screen is? A location for the images in relationship to you? If you actually do recognize a location, does that localizing it shift your relationship to your thoughts, to your images? Sometimes seeing the location of thinking, it's easier to recognize that thoughts are just a small part of who we are rather than being totally who we are, they're just one little aspect of a much bigger totality. And if you are thinking with words, have an inner voice, is what's the tone of that inner voice? What's the attitude that's behind the words? Is it a tone that's kind or friendly or is it harsh and critical? Is it fearful or confident? Is it loud or quiet? And if you think in images, what's the mood of those images? What's the emotional tenor that gets conveyed by the images you see? connected to your thoughts? Any feelings that come along with them? They might be very subtle. Or any attitudes that come along with your thoughts? And as you continue to be aware of thinking, when thinking occurs, 
Are there any physical aspects of thinking? Is there any tightness or energy or vibration or pressure or tension that seems to any that's connected to your thinking anywhere in your body and in, in your top of your in your head and your face eyes jaws neck hands chest shoulders in Buddhism they say that all thoughts, all thinking, has some corollary, some expression that's felt in the sensations of the body. back to your breathing and take a few slow, long, slow, deep breaths again, two or three, to reconnect to your breathing. And as you exhale, letting go of your thoughts. Come back to a more quiet way of being, just breathing in and breathing out. sit here for another couple of minutes but as you sit here with your breathing if you find your thinking pulling you away or bring a clear recognition to the fact that you're thinking and maybe notice some of these aspects of your what's happening as you think recognizing it just as thoughts and then come back again to your breathing.
And then to end this sitting, you can take a few long, slow, deep breaths again. Feel connected to your body. Feel your body against the chair or the cushion, the floor. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Many, many years ago, there was an Indian meditation teacher who told a Western student something that has now entered into the liturgy of our meditation scene. He said to this, her that uh, the thoughts of your mother are not your mother. And that freed her. So the thoughts of, you know, so thinking and what we think about are two different things. But, you know, it's the, you know we, don't, we don't often remember that because our thoughts about something is the medium by which we know it. We think we know it. And, um, but the thoughts are not the thing itself. And in fact, the thoughts might be two-dimensional or only partial. It might be biased. It might be a misrepresentation of what's there. And thoughts are just very interesting. Thoughts are a very important part of our life. But, um, you know, they have no substance. They have no weight. You know, what is a thought? For some people, what they think about is the most important, substantial, authoritative thing in existence. And for some people, their thoughts are a dime a dozen. They come and go and, you know, take them or leave them. It's not like a big deal. But uh, people have a lot of attachment, a lot of, uh, a lot of fear, a lot of um, greed, a lot of hostility and anger. Chances are pretty high that they're very much involved in their thoughts, their fantasy, their memories, their ideas. And those things have a lot of authority, really engaged in them. But why do we give so much authority to thinking? Why, why do we believe our thoughts so much? Thoughts are fine, but we invest a lot of authority into them. We expect them to, do, to serve us in all kinds of ways. They're going to solve our life. They're going to understand, you know, we can understand, fix our problems, whatever. They're going to entertain us. And what happens when we spend a lot of time thinking, we become alienated from ourselves. It's kind of like living a two-dimensional life. And we actually, it's actually easily possible to lose touch with oneself. And, and, and not really feel connected because it's going down this particular, it's always having one channel and not realizing there's, you know, you know, it's like having always having black and white and not realizing there's color. So it's a, so I'm curious, uh, so what was that like to do that last meditation? And especially the second part when we kind of just touched into the exploration of thoughts. Was that novel for you? Was that interesting? It's something... What did you discover? Diana, right over here. So I'll make a comment and I have a question. So regarding your, your question, 
when I tried to be aware, be aware of the thoughts, it was like fish that I'm trying to grasp yes. and are sliding out. Uh-huh. Uh, but my question is, at one point you said that I could take refuge of my thoughts in my body. That statement was very abstract for me. Maybe you can uh, elaborate. Okay. So the first one, um, the, uh, the, some of you find that as soon as you, you, you know, you were, as soon as you were told you had permission to think and to notice, you really look at your thinking, that it was kind of slippery. It didn't. You, you've been trying to bat them away and stop thinking before and come back to the breath, and it's like this thoughts that kept bothering you, right? But yeah, you didn't. You turn your attention finally and look at them, like, where are they? <laughs> So that's a very powerful lesson. Uh, there's something that happens if we're always batting them away and thinking them as the wrong and trying to come back to the breath, then they have this much stronger role and energy and, you know, they go on. But if you actually turn your attention and look them right in the eyes, I'm thinking, they lose some of their power. And the power is the power of involvement identification. We, we kind of, like, we, we might be with the breath, some of our attention, but we're leaking often. Whatever, wherever our attention goes to feeds whatever it goes to. But we're often leaking. Sometimes we're leaking big time in, and we're feeding the thinking. But if you turn your full attention and just see it, but don't be involved in it, then uh, it's, it, uh, it starts to kind of... Th- there's no feeding of it. It doesn't c- continue. Does that make sense? So, so it was good what happened to you. It taught you a lesson that the, how insubstantial they are, they are, how tenuous they are, and so you can use that. You don't have to fight them. Just look at them and say, oh. And they go away. And then you come back to your breathing. It isn't always that easy, but... Okay? And then this thing about refuge. What I meant is that... Uh, uh, what I wanted to say, but I, I, I held back from saying it, is kind of like your body is a temple. And it's this, this domain, it's this house, it's this kind of sanctuary... That, we, that everything that happens within us happens within the sanctuary of the body. And some people, everything that happens to them is in the sanctuary of their thinking. But we're much more than our thoughts. And so to understand that our thoughts are happening within this wider field of the body sometimes liberates people from being too involved with their thoughts. So then this idea of, then some people find that they can local, localize a place where they're thinking uh, then this, the thoughts are not so all-encompassing. Like, oh, it's, you know, so, and so then there's actually, there's much more. I'm, I'm much more than that. There's a whole body. It's a larger field of experience. And that larger field of experience is a refuge that thoughts can never provide. Refuges don't provide much refuge. They're very insubstantial and sometimes unreliable. Does that make sense? That, uh, some of you were able to lo- localize your thinking you have a place where you tend to notice the thinking? Where were some, where were some of the places you saw? In the head. Okay. Did someone else? <clears throat> Anybody? In front of you, you think more in images? Uh-huh. Do you think more in images? a good thing to recognize. People who think with images tend to have it more in front of them a little bit. But also there's other places where it can be and it's interesting sometimes, I don't know about for you, it's interesting sometimes when thoughts are not in the body but projected in front. I've done that sometimes and it's usually when I'm uh, really eager or want something. 
And so I'm kind of ahead of myself. Gail, come back. Come back and be in yourself. So anybody else want to share a little bit what that meditation was like? What did you find? What did you discover about yourself? Yes. Um, When you asked us to see it or identify it, um, I was able to actually create a box, and then that box became a spot, and then it went away. Great. So it was really interesting. Great. So you, there was, so you had a different relationship to it than you usually would have. And if you, if you don't mind saying, what's your usual relationship with thoughts? Overwhelming. <laughs> Constant fleeting, you know. So they're overwhelming, they're constantly fleeting, they're kind of like bombarding you. Mm-hmm. And by kind of looking at them clearly and having this kind of delimiting them, and you could easier to put them aside. Right. Great. Yeah, over here. Um. I noticed, um, you know, I think this is an overwhelming feeling. It's very similar to me. They're bombarded, and, and they seem to me almost like a, you know, talking head that's disembodied, that's not from within the body. Um, but what was interesting as I observed them more is that most of them um, seem to come from some place of anxiety. Something is undone, something's unfinished. And even as I recognized, ah, you know, I'm just thinking about this because this is just anxiety, um, I still felt, okay, I'm going to go back to breathing, but it's still undone. Uh-huh. So that, so even though I'm not involved with the content, uh, it's going to come back to me again uh, because it's unfinished business. Great. That's great. So, so um, how many of you have recognized some emotion connected to your thinking? And we'll come back to what... So quite a few of you. Um, the stronger the thinking is, the more likely it is there's an emotion that's fueling it or connected to it. Um, the more repetitive the thought is, the more it repeats itself over and over and over again, the more likely it is it has some emotion that's connected to it. And so uh, people who spend a lot of time planning, for example, the, uh, uh, the chances are very high that what's fueling that is anxiety or apprehension. Some of you are worried about something. And you can let go of, like you said, you can let go of the planning thoughts as much as you want, but because the anxiety is there, it's going to pump out new, more planning thoughts, trying to solve the problem, whatever. And, uh, and so what uh, you need to do is you need to bring your attention to the worry. That's what needs attention. And the, and the thinking is just a surface of it. And it, so some people are very good at letting go of thoughts, but they come right back because the underlying factory, the underlying soil for it hasn't been addressed. So that's why then for you, you would then feel the anxiety connected to it. And, and it's interesting, the anxiety you have is not the same thing as the problem. If you think they're the same, then you better stay with your anxiety if you have a real problem. But anxiety and the problem are two different things. It's possible to have something needs to be solved and not have any anxiety at all. So we're kind of teasing these things apart. And so come back and knowing that distinction can make it easier to be willing to go and be mindful of the emotion, of the anxiety. Um, if you don't see that distinction, then you don't want to give up the anxiety because you've got to solve the problem. But if you can feel the anxiety in your body, do the do mindfulness of emotion, then that can settle it. And then you might find you don't need to think so much anymore. Yes. So I found that I was, the thoughts were escaping me, 
So then I would go to the emotion, and the emotion was, well, I'm annoyed that my thoughts are escaping me. And then I would go to the body, and I was like, well, well, my back hurts and my leg hurts. And then I would go to a thought, and I was sort of bouncing between all three, but Mm -hmm. never really sinking into the meditation. Uh And I was wondering, like, what you would suggest if there's not... I almost couldn't settle. I couldn't settle my mind. Great. So great, it's a great, good question. And so there's, I think, two two major options I would recommend. Uh, one is to make yourself. One is to go wide, and the other is to go kind of close in. So the wide would be um, rather than kind of trying to track each of those movements, get a wide angle lens of it all, like a bird's eye view of your whole self, and say, here's a person that's restless, that's bouncing around, and just be. Oh, what is it like to? What's this like? What's it like to be someone who's just bouncing between all these things? as opposed to try to get each bounce. So just feel the overall restlessness, anxiety, you know, jittery, whatever it might be. And then you might, uh, things might settle on their own because you have the big picture. That's one. That's kind of the wide angle. The closer is, uh, because of, uh, it, it, uh, it might just be easiest and simplest to, um, for you to just ignore it and just stay with your breath for a while. And let the, you just kind of, because it's so, so it's, chasing it, trying to be mindful of it. You just jump around and it keeps you agitated. And so it might be better just go to your breath and just ride your breath. Just stay calmly, steadily with your breath. Maybe have some little extra oomph to hang in there with the breath so your mental energy is not spilling over back into that world. Um, I have an experience with devices, you know, whether it's my iPhone or whatever, that like I will be on it and I can feel myself addicted to yes. that and like it's very hard and I, I I there's like in my head I'm going, Okay, I should put this down, I should go to bed, I should you know and, and then forty five minutes later I'm still and that's kind of what I, I experience with my thoughts, which is I'm so addicted to them that even when I can like sort of get away from it for even like a split second, I just keep coming back yeah. to it. And it has this like like I really like them. <laughs> like I, I know, really, um, and and um, it's incredibly hard for me to stay removed from them because I just keep coming back for another hit. Yeah, yeah. you know, if um, if uh, instead of your devices, if say you um, you uh, were late for coming here, and you had to, you decided to run from the train station all the way to here. And you arrived, you know, just when I started the meditation. You know, it would take a while for your whole system to kind of calm down. And we'd expect that, right? You have to catch your breath and, and it, has, it takes a while. So the same thing goes on with these devices. And sometimes we're thinking that we're so frenetically involved and the mind's jumping around. There's something about looking at computer screens where we're constantly kind of jumping around, looking at things and searching and wanting and moving that it's kind of like constantly running. And you can't expect to turn it off like that. It takes a while for everything to settle down. So you have to create time and place where you can unwind and give yourself the time to do it. And it is like an addiction. And so you have to figure out some way to break the addiction. And so some people will exercise, some people will meditate, some people will take a shower, some people take a nap, some people find someone they can talk to. Oh, I should clarify. I I mean, 
the addiction to the device notwithstanding, I'm just saying that my thoughts in my head I like when that. I'm meditating are oh, similar. Oh, I like that. Oh, I see. Yeah. To, like, I, I just can't stop thinking because I keep coming back to them ah. even when I can get away from it for a little bit. So that's, so that's like, so I, I realize I have an addiction to okay. <laughs> devices too. Ah, but okay. No, I, I, oh, I yeah. see. I see. I'm sorry. It's okay. So in that case, so you're pretty familiar with this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, would you be willing to just uh, do a little, for me to guide you in a short guided meditation right now with it? Okay. I know it's a little odd, but so else? just, just, close, just, just no, no one look at her. <laughs> Why not? I want to every, 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 everyone close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask, I guess ask her some questions. Okay, and you don't have to. Sp- I'm gonna ask you. You can, you can reply if you feel comfortable. Okay. Because that helps me guide you a little bit more, but you don't have to if you don't want to. So, so, so take everyone take a deep breath and relax. Settle in. And some of you might actually follow along because it's just as true for you as it for her. And sit here just for breathe normally a couple of breaths. So for you, this um, uh, thinking that jumps around is so phonetic and active. Um, is there some place in your body where you recognize that's happening? Between your ears. Great. So bring your attention between your ears and feel what's going on there. And feel the sensations that are there. And could you characterize for me some of the sensations between your ears that are associated with this kind of thinking? Sorry? A ringing. A ringing. Great. So feel, he, just, feel, just uh, feel the ringing. And is the ringing... Um, if the ringing head is a shape between your ears, approximately, okay, where is that shape? Where is it occurring? Is it like a cylinder between your ears? Or is it like a football shape? Or is it... What's it like? That area that's ringing. A stick, great. So f- just feel that area, that's, that stick-like area of the ringing, as if it's okay for it to be there. Completely okay. But you're, right now you're just going to feel it, like it's never been felt before. Finally, it feels so good to be recognized and fe- be felt and seen. Just feel it. And as you feel it, are there any other sensations besides ringing that go with it? A little louder? My feet are sort of falling asleep. That's okay. But in terms of your head, your thinking. of pressure, so just take a few moments to feel the pressure as if that's okay. Just get to know it. So as you feel the ringing and the pressure, what happens to the ringing and the pressure? Does it get stronger, weaker? Does it spread out? Get smaller? So it spreads out. 
So feel it spreading out. And are there any, is there any emotion connected to that, the area where you have all this active thinking? Excitement, huh? Great. So feel that, so as if you've never felt it before, just feel the excitement. And as you feel and recognize the excitement, what happens to it? It's okay. So now we've been doing this for a few minutes. Uh, has anything shifted for you in that thinking mind that you reported earlier? Well, I definitely didn't have specific thoughts uh-huh. other than trying to focus on this. Like in the previous, in the previous one, I I was you know it's like flash here, flash there, like, you know, just all these yeah. images were coming into my mind and, you know, little, like, commentary about the different things yeah. that were coming. I would keep trying to come back to yeah. my breathing and everything, and I didn't have those images and commentary flashing in my mind during so, the so, last So it was one. less uh, busy, less phonetic? It was yeah, little, huh? yeah. So was that an improvement in the quality of your mind? Definitely. That didn't Definitely. take long. What's that? That didn't take long. Well, but but I feel like there was kind of a conversation going on here. So there was like something else to focus on when there's just like silence. Like yeah. that's so, so, where... So, so my, when you do mindfulness, you are, you're not having a conversation with yourself, but you are getting at little, at times, a little bit actively involved to investigate, to feel, to explore. And so you want to start these instructions to start paying attention to what's going on in this kind of way. You want to internalize it and start engaging in it. So that has... So that, that, that is a little bit more in control of the situation than your mind is controlling you. Mm-hmm. And then you want to go in there and explore and feel and be there. It's very respectful for your inner life to do this. Okay. Does this make some sense? Not so Trying. <laughs> Trying. Yeah. yeah. And then, if, um, and then uh, as I said to the lady next to you, um, if that doesn't work, that kind of exploration of the thinking like that, um, then another approach is to go back to your breathing. Mm-hmm. And just try to, re- to be really diligent, just stay with the breath and do more of a concentration practice on the breath. Concentration means you only do the breath. Just kind of stay with it, stay with it. Sometimes that'll help things calm down. Okay. Thank you. Yes, over here. Do we have a mic? Maybe this will be the last one, then I want to say a few other things. Uh, today is my first class, so if this, been, if this has been addressed, I apologize for asking it. But, you know, this question is about sleep. When you don't sleep, you think about sleep all day, and you kind of, when it's time to sleep, you kind of feel anxious about sleeping. Yes. And the, day, and the nights that you sleep, you don't think about it at all. Uh, so just curious, you know, how does one address that where you kind of stop thinking about sleeping and actually do the sleeping? I see. So, so you're saying sometimes people, you need to sleep, but there's an anxiety and thought about, I need to sleep, I have to sleep, I better sleep, otherwise tomorrow's going to be a problem. And that very activity of thinking keeps you energized and awake? 
Yeah, and, and the fact that you haven't slept the night before actually keeps you up yeah. this it night can, as well. It can, it and can, then, yeah. then it's just worse. I mean, then after yeah. that, it's like the third night and you're like, okay, I haven't yeah. slept two nights. So, yeah. Can I sleep yeah. tonight now or not? It's a, it's, a, it's a good question. It's a common issue for many people in our society. And more people in our society need to sleep than they need to meditate. So meditate, you know, because there's such a sleep-deprived culture. And uh, I think it's happening more and more. And these devices are also keeping people awake more and not sleeping as well that they have. So, so, so there's a, a, a lot that can be said. And there's people who are much better qualified than me to talk about a whole strategy about how to get to proper sleep and how to deal with all the issues on, the, on this. So I'll just say one thing about it in terms of the class here today. And that is that... Um, uh, learning to be mindful, learning to meditate, developing the skill of calming the mind down, seeing what's going on, learning how not to identify and be involved with what, what, you're, what you're thinking, uh, creates this kind of freedom and ease where then it becomes easier for the mind to go to sleep. But it's a skill that takes a while to cultivate. So that's where regular meditation practice develops uh, the skill. And I know plenty of people who found that after they started meditating on a regular basis, their sleep improved dramatically. Thank you. Okay. So, so, um, so the, the basic idea in the meditation I've been teaching you is that we would use the breathing as the central focus, as a default. Come back to the breath. The breath is a great place to cultivate greater awareness and greater calm. But we don't stay there only. If something else becomes predominant or compelling, some experience, then we, bring our, we can let go of the breath and bring our attention to really see that and recognize that it is what it is. And it's in the act of, there's something about the act of recognition, of seeing, that we can find a certain degree of freedom and independence from what we're usually caught up in. And with that freedom and independence comes greater calm. It tends to reduce a lot of stress. It also helps us to see and have insight what's going on in our life. So if it's strong sensations in the body, then we do mindfulness of the body, meaning you'd bring your attention carefully to the parts in the body where, that are speaking up and hold those with mindful awareness. If there are strong emotions uh, that are compelling, we would do mindfulness of emotions like we talked about last week. If, there are, if the thoughts are compelling, uh, so they're compelling because either they have the grip, you can't let go of them, or because they keep reappearing. You can let go of them, but they keep reappearing. Then uh, you want to, uh, if they're just kind of surface thought and easy to let go of, let go and go back to your breath. But if they keep reappearing or they can't, can't let go of them at all, then just uh, stop focusing on the breath and bring your full attention to do mindfulness of thinking. And to see what, you know, just as we, kind of a little bit how we did today, just look at right, right in the eye, say thinking, you know, thinking. And this is where uh, sometimes it's very useful to use what's called a mental note, a label. Um, so you would, if you're thinking, you might just say to yourself, thinking, thinking. Um, and it's a way of stepping back and really recognizing, no, I'm thinking here, as opposed to continue to think and be involved in it. If it's obvious, you can be more specific. You can say planning, planning, remembering, fantasizing. Um, but don't spend a lot of time thinking about a specific label if it's really obvious. But, if it, but sometimes a more specific label helps us to become more independent from it, a little bit more distance from it, not caught in the grip of it. The, um, uh, it's helpful sometimes for insistent thoughts to uh, feel it in the body, like I did an exercise with a woman up there. 
um, where do you feel in the body? You know, is it? And uh, if you really have a powerful thought, chances are you can feel it. Sometimes people in the eyes and the forehead is all bunched up. Um, the jaws get tight and clenched. The shoulders go up and tight. And you can sometimes feel and, um, what's going on in the body. Um, sometimes there's a lot of buzzing energy and pressure in the head. And, uh, and the idea with all this is not to make anything a problem. It's just something... And, we, and part of, the, part of the, uh, the trial and error of doing mindfulness practice is seeing how can you be present for something without it being a problem. So if there's a lot of physical sensations connected to thinking, just don't make it a problem. Even if there's a headache, don't make it a problem. Just hold it in your awareness. Just hold it there. And it's one of the, if, you, if some of you have regular headaches, it's a fascinating thing to feel a headache, to feel the pain, but not be troubled by it. Because being troubled by it and having the pain are two different things. And most people have the two completely intertwined, that being troubled and being in pain. And so they kind of, you know, just suffer a lot. But it's possible to have a lot of ease, a lot of space, a lot of peace, and have a headache at the same time. And it kind of, when it's really done well, it, the pain doesn't quite feel like pain. It's not like so bad. But it takes uh, using awareness and t- uh, clearly seeing what's there. So feel it in your body, if, if you can, what's going on with your thinking. The pressure to think. And then also you might notice if there's any emotion connected to your thinking. And so is there fear? Is there eagerness? Is there anticipation? Is there regret? What is it? Because chances are, if there's a lot of consistent, regular, repetitive thinking, there's some emotion underneath it. And uh, if that's the case, it's the emotion that needs attention, not the fact that you're thinking. And so then when you want to do the emotion meditation that I taught last week, just bring, it, bring your attention to the emotion and feel it and be with it. Um, and emotions are always in the present moment. What you're thinking about might be in the past or the future. And you can't really have a high-quality attention to what's in the past and the future. The only place for high-quality attention or high-quality living is in the present moment. And emotions can be a door to that. And emotions really need a lot of attention often. And so, the, But again, to hold, it, hold emotions without identifying with it, without getting involved with it, without reacting to it, is part of the what we're trying to find our way to do here. So looking at, the, looking at thinking, if thinking persists, or is re- just name it, say thinking, just see it directly. Sometimes it fades away, go back to the breath. If it doesn't fade away easily or repeat it, then start looking at it and, and kind of stay with it for a while, get to know it better. Some of the things we talked about in the guided meditation, get to know them better. Get to know the physicality of it, get to know the emotionality of it. See what's going on. And then if, um, if uh, and then it might be useful to name thinking, just thinking, thinking, as a way of separating out from a little bit from it. Um, and then finally, as we become more mindful of thinking, it's possible to become mi- more mindful of what the common themes are that we think about. And some people don't really recognize the common themes that repeat themselves over and over and over again. We don't know, we don't realize that we've thought the same kind of, had the same concern 500 times today because we haven't kept count. I actually knew someone who, a teacher who once gave their students the instructions, 
count how many times you're judgmental. And, um, and so the students would come back and after they'd say, they'd say you, know, it was, you know, when I got up to like 150, <laughs> I finally thought it was humorous. And that, that being amused by it kind of freed them from that identification with their judgments. They're so important. I'm so right. It's like, wow, you know, this is quite, this is an amazing thing. I'm a judging factor. I didn't, had no idea. So sometimes by labeling them, you know, judging, remembering, you can kind of see the themes and the repetition and how often these things are going through your life. It also gives you access to understand better your beliefs. And we have a lot of underlying assumptions and beliefs that are just under the radar, just under the radar of our, you know, what we normally aware of. But when we can slow down a little bit and be mindful of our thinking, we can sometimes see under the radar the various beliefs we have, what, uh, what we feel like we need, who we are, who we are not, how we treat ourselves, attitudes and beliefs we have about ourselves, attitudes about others. And it can be very freeing to see those if then we can kind of loosen up, lighten up, not take them so seriously about them. So, thinking is an important part of life. And uh, it's good to spend sometimes thinking carefully and mindfully and just go for walks and think about your things. It's also really good to learn how not to have to think and how to put them down. You don't have to think all the time. Even though thinking is good, there's no, nowhere to, uh, does it, is there a man, human, manual for human beings that said you have to think all day long. Uh, it's really good to give yourself a break, a vacation. And some people, what happens is the people who meditate a lot, sometimes as they get quieter and quieter in meditation, stiller and stiller, they discover there was a layer in the brain that's exhausted. Even if they got all the sleep they wanted, they realize this deep underlying weariness from a lifetime of just incessant thinking. And, um, but sometimes we're so involved in the, our thinking and caught in our thoughts, we're so distracted by our distractions, we don't know we're distracted. But as we get quieter, we see that layer of exhaustion, and that's a good thing, because then that can start to rest as well. And that's a great thing to see happen. So this is all takes quite a while. It's not, don't expect this to be quickly, but it gives you a little bit of sense of the direction we're going here, what meditation can go to. We have now reviewed in this class, this course, uh, mindfulness of breathing, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of emotion, mindfulness of thinking. Mindfulness of thinking. For some of you might think, this is a lot. This is getting complicated. <coughs> so uh, if that's the case, don't worry about all this. Um, you know, you can read my book, it has some instructions, the handouts and all that. If all you do is go back to the first day and just do mindfulness of, th- of breathing, just stay with your breath, trust your breath, stay with it, do the meditation there. But sooner or later, what will happen is one of these other areas will come find you. <laughs> and when they come and find you, when your body comes and finds you with it, or your emotions come and find you, it's so clear, your emotions have found you, then you can do mindfulness of the emotion. But don't worry about it until then. Keep it simple. If it's not simple, it's not mindfulness. Does that make sense? So, um, any last 
questions about this? Yes. Yes, we. I tried to resist, but I can't resist commenting on your your last statement that there's no human manual which says what, that we must always be thinking because I was given a manual oh, you which were. clearly said I was to be thinking all the time. Really? Oh. And, um, oh. So I, was really I missed out. Did I miss something important? <laughs> <laughs> so I was really looking forward to tonight because ever since I came I kept thinking well this is fine but wait till we get to the thinking because I have such a thinking machine. Yes. And I was so glad to finally have it addressed and so I, I was quite an unexpected result because very early on in the meditation you said something almost in passing. You said, now, you know, first of all, you know, you can be in your body. In fact, it's always okay to just be in your body. And I almost never heard another word after that. <laughs> I, I was really, really profoundly struck by that and I got a huge sense of uh, of well-being. Mm. Uh, I, I was no thinking at all. It just like beautiful. What? Great. <laughs> and uh, I realized at that point that uh, that the the thinking um, is is separate from that. That yes. you can be in your body. You don't actually have to be in the thoughts that I've been assuming were so vital to my oh. survival. Wonderful. You can return the manual. <laughs> <laughs> The, um, so, uh, thank you very much. And that leads to something I, w- I was thinking of saying earlier, is that um, one of the benefits of meditation is, I mean, again, it's not automatic, it takes a while to build this, is it, meditation itself, like you described, can bring a, a very meaningful sense of well-being that's an alternative to thinking, alternative to devices, alternative to alcohol, alternative to a lot of things we're looking for for our salvation. And we find this sense of well-being and it feels so much better than some of the alternatives. And so it's not, so it's easy to let go of the alternatives because we know this better thing. So what you experience, now you know something. And now you, even though you might kind of not have easy access to it, right, you know, always, um, you know something now and you know there's a better game in town. And now you try to be wise about this new discovery and maybe it's easier to let go of your thoughts when they're, not, when they're no longer needed. Great. So next week is our last week. And two things. So next week um, we'll do, uh, uh, we'll kind of sum it all up, do a review, but also talk about how you can go further with this, both as a way of applying all this into your, da- into your daily life and how to go deeper in terms of meditation practice and some of the wisdom aspects. Mindfulness is supposed to bring, uh, lead to wisdom, so we'll talk a little bit about the wis- that wisdom aspect of, of uh, mindfulness. Uh, and the second thing is that um, at the end of this five-week course, uh, IMC here, uh, the, f- the, f- ne- the following Wednesdays, for the next four Wednesdays or something, we have a program called Beginner's Practice Group. And it was designed to be a follow-up from this course for people who want to continue to get support for med- meditating and doing it and asking questions and getting some guidance. And some, some of the most senior members, uh, practitioners here at IMC, uh, will lead it. And uh, some people find that nice because uh, they're less intimidating than me. 
<laughs> you know, just nice. You feel like more, you know, just peers, people have been through it. And, and, um, and, uh, and it's a lovely thing. And so you're welcome to come for that. Um, there's flyers on the counter there about the beginner's practice program. So uh, I'll, I'll announce it again next week as well. But there is a chance, if you want, to get more support to follow up for a few more weeks after this is over. And there's a handout. And uh, the handout has homework. And the homework is interesting, I think, about uh, mindfulness of thinking in your daily life. So I'd recommend that you uh, read the homework and, uh, and kind of think about it, explore it, and then find some friends that you can discuss it with. I think it comes richer if you're in discussion with people about it. Great. Thank you all very much. Thank you.